That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring me this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Then we're going to turn over into Psalm 34. And we'll read the the whole psalm. It's page 561 in the church Bibles, if you have a church Bible. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Um, a while ago, uh, at Barnes Row, we ran a, a coffee morning on Fridays. And one of the ways that I was, uh, well, privileged really, to sacrificially serve the coffee morning was to pop in right at the start uh, to check that the cake was okay. Um, Friday morning, chief cake taster was more of a, a self-appointed role, I think, for me. Uh, but nonetheless, a very important one. Jan's cakes, they always looked 
good. But it's not good enough for cake to just look good. Someone had to check it tasted good. Taste and see that the cake was good. I mean, someone had to take the risk, right? Um, and I can assure you that her cakes always tasted good. Amazing, in fact. You could taste and see that the baker was good. Now, we have a saying, the proof of the pudding, uh, the proof is in the pudding, and it's part of an older saying uh, that it comes to a longer one, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And it means that the quality of something, well, it, it can be tested, it can be known by personal experience, by trying it yourself rather than relying on what others say. And that is at the heart of Psalm 34, written by the famous King David of 8th century BC Israel. It's all about this when it comes to the goodness of God. This is about not settling for knowing about the goodness of God, but personally experiencing the goodness of God. That when it comes to the goodness of God, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Taste and see the goodness of God. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe you're unconvinced of God's goodness. I mean, if he's all-powerful, how can he be good when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? And if you're a Christian, who of us hasn't questioned or at least wondered about the goodness of God when we've experienced loss or disappointment or suffering? Well, Psalm 34 helps us with more than knowing about God's goodness. At heart, David wants us to taste and see for ourselves the goodness of God. Here's how to daily pick up, if you like, the cake of God's goodness and take a bite. To see for ourselves that God is good. Now, Psalm 34 is an acrostic poem uh, where almost all of the verses start with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we might say that Psalm 34 is like a, a kind of an A to Z of the goodness of God. So we're going to dive in and um, explore the psalm in two parts. We'll spend more time in the first part than the second part. So here's the first, the first half. Taste the goodness of God. Taste the goodness of God in verses 1 to 14. And uh, David starts with a really striking personal commitment. I wonder if you notice that in verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Really? A heart of praise to God that, that, that overflows in singing lips, not only when life is good, but at all times, and always. I'm not sure how you find this, but I, I find that my heart, my lips are more inclined to extol me, encourage others to praise me. And I find it easier to praise God in the good times than in the bad. But in verses 2 and 3, it's like David gently takes our arm. And he says, come on, you can, you can do this. Praise God with me now in what you're going through. 
Verse 2, I will glory, I will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exhort his name together. English Standard Version translates verse 2, O magnify the Lord with me. A magnifying glass doesn't actually make things bigger, but it makes them seem bigger to us. So it's not that God is actually small, but that our material world and in our sinfulness, God can seem small to us. So to magnify the Lord is to enlarge our view of God so that he is big to us, as in fact he really is. Now, in the good times, it's perhaps easier to feel the great goodness of God. We enjoy God's good gifts. But magnifying God here is is a supernatural thing that is possible for believers at all times, in the good times and in the bad times. Notice that David wants the afflicted to hear and to rejoice with him to exalt the Lord's name, the wonders of his character. So what is the secret? What is David's secret to such a God-centered, praise-filled life? Well, to help himself, to help the afflicted, to help us praise God with him. David tells his story of God's goodness to him in saving him. Look at verse 4 and following. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. Now, I wonder if you notice the heading of Psalm 34. It gives the backstory to this psalm. We read that in, in uh, 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. It was a time in David's life when um, it's before he became king, and he's on the run from King Saul's. King Saul's trying to assassinate him. Um, He's on the run as a fugitive and has a price on his head. And he escapes to the Philistine city of Gath. Now remember the Philistines were were traditionally enemies of of Israel. Well, there the Philistine king, Abimelech, um, also known as Achish, became suspicious of him as the mighty warrior of their enemy, Israel. And David feared for his life in that moment. And so to escape being killed by the Philistines, David pretended to be insane. Imagine it. And he was let go free. David had a current, present-day story of God's goodness to him. And it put a song in his heart, and it fired his praise. Now, I've gone past half a century, as most of you know. Um, And I was challenged recently by someone talking about how that as we get older, we typically have less recent stories to tell of God's goodness to us. We kind of rely on the stories from the past much more, years back. There's something sad about that. What are your current stories of God's goodness to you. 
when in verse 4, in a sticky wicket, you sought the Lord. Verse 6, in the poverty of your situation, you called out to the Lord. And like David, you found, verse 4, he answered and he delivered you from all your fears. Your, the worst never happened. Verse 6, the Lord heard and saved you out of all your troubles. You see that God knows, God hears, God acts in big and small ways. My mum, at 88 years old, uh, was telling me recently how God has been answering her prayers uh, recently. And she was rather apologetic, really, about how small they were, her prayers. So her heating was playing up, and then it packed up. And so she brought it to the Lord. She came home one day. It has started working again. No explanation. Or she heard a, a noise in the night and was afraid. She lives alone. She called out to the Lord. He took her fear away and sent her back to sleep. The next thing she knew, it was the next morning. Now, I don't know what you think to that. I mean, it's easy to dismiss such practical, small, simple faith as what would have happened anyway. I, I think that's probably the voice of unbelief. That is not how David here talks. He says, God heard, and God saved. You can just go, I got lucky and escaped from the Philistines. Actually, maybe David's cringing in verse 5, I don't know. Um, he remembers acting like a madman before the king of Gath, making marks on the door of the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. Shame covered his face. Look at verse Five In verse 5, he's going, look, when you look to the Lord, it changes your face. You are radiant with praise. Your face is never covered with shame. Unbelievers around you may laugh at you, may regard you with shame for believing the Bible. When this life is over, and believers stand with Christ, and it dawns on us, with, with such a weight and a freshness that the shame of our sin really was taken by Jesus at the cross. Our faces, as we look at Christ, will be radiant. We trusted in the God who delivers for all eternity. And we're safe. You know, if only we could see right now the spiritual realm we would see verse 7. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Years later, in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. He was frustrated. Israel seemed to have better intelligence than he did. Every place that he attacked Israel, they seemed to know about it and they were waiting for him, ready for him. He was having a nightmare. And at first, he accuses his generals of betrayal. Someone's letting the secrets out. But it turns out that God was telling the Israelite prophet Elisha, the king of Aram's secret plans. And then Elisha, was tipping off his own king. So the king of Aram hunted Elisha down. 
And by night, he surrounded the city of Dothan. That's where Elisha was staying. And there's this vast army around the city. When Elisha's servant went out the next morning early, he saw the city was surrounded with an army, with horses, and with chariots. And he comes running to Elisha and he says, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha gave his famous reply. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And King says this, Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. If only we could have our eyes open now to see the spiritual realm all around us. If you're a Christian, you have the angel of the Lord. That is Old Testament code for the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, surrounding you. If you're a Christian, you walk into this week, whatever's facing you this week. You walk through every valley, you climb every mountaintop, never, ever alone. Fiery angelic hosts encamp around the Lord's people, the Lord himself. And that is why David says in verses 8 to 10, look, don't just know the Lord is good. Won't you experience for yourself that the Lord is good? Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, it's obviously a metaphor it's a metaphor for experiencing and being nourished by God. But how does that happen? And what, what actually, in practice, does it mean, do we do, to taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, I wonder if you notice in verses 8 to 10, there's a number of things that David actually gives us to do. It's worth just pausing on those. Because I think that's how we taste and see. So look at verse 8. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Really interesting. The word one, so the one there in Hebrew, normally means a warrior or the strong one. If you're feeling strong today, like, like life is before you, well, praise God, but be very careful. When we feel like ninja warriors, more striking than when we're weak, we still need to take refuge in the Lord. To go to him for our protection. Or verse 9, another thing to do, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. That is about giving God due reverence and awe. It's living in the light of who God actually is. That is a humbling, wonderful thing. Or verse 10, the lions, so the most powerful of animals, may grow weak and hungry. They seek out their food. But look at the contrast. Those who, and here's the thing to do, seek the Lord, lack no good thing. That is pursuing God and enjoying him. It's, it's pursuing God so as to enjoy him. As we open our Bibles, as we pray, as we come to church, as we spend time with God's people, we're intentional in all those things, not just doing them. I want to know more of God. To taste and see the Lord is good. It's when you come to believe God is good, for sure. 
But then you move on from just believing to knowing and knowing that in your head to going, I want to act on that knowledge. Actually thinking and planning and speaking and acting, trusting in God's goodness in practical ways. In big and small things, when it's praying, Lord, I need my heating fixed. Lord, I'm scared. I can't sleep. And it's not that God rescues in every way we ask. I mean, God doesn't promise believers will never need to call a plumber. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, or, never, or never scared or sleepless. Or never experience poverty or tragedy or even early death in this life. We're not promised any of those things. The promise in verse 10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Well, that, that has got to point, surely, to something greater than just material blessings now. In fact, in all of our, if you like, our, our mini rescues, our, our stories of God hearing and providing, God saving, like he did for David here, they all point to a far greater rescue that Jesus has bought for us in his, his life, death, and resurrection. Salvation from sin, death, and hell. Salvation that will be fully ours when Jesus returns in glory and creates all things new. So here's a question. Are you daily tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Are you chief cake taster when it comes to the Lord's goodness? The proof of the Lord's goodness, I mean, for sure, it's definitely in the objective facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But the proof of the Lord's goodness here in this passage is also in the tasting. So let's step out in faith. Trust his goodness. Pray for small deliverances. Pray for big deliverances, but live resting in his great deliverance. The death of Jesus on the cross for you, taking the hell that you deserve. And looking forward to the final deliverance ahead. When Jesus returns and we all stand before him, judge of all the earth, and believers will be saved from God's just wrath on that day. I was listening to a song this week that blessed me. It goes like this. I will trust my Savior Jesus. When my darkest doubts befall, trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. I will trust my Savior Jesus, trust him when my strength is small, for I know the shield of Jesus is the safest place of all. I will trust my Savior Jesus, he has said, his way is best, and I know his path he's chosen leads to everlasting rest. Let's trust him. That is how we taste and we see that the Lord is good. And you'll then have present day stories of God's goodness to you. Now, it's worth noting that um, in crying out to God to save, David isn't treating God like a 999 service here. Um, no, being saved by God calls to a radically changed life. Look at verses 11 to 14. David says, come, my children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace 
and pursue it. So the saving grace and the goodness of God, well, that changes believers. And we need to hear this because that God is good does not mean that he's some weak, wealthy, divine grandfather in the sky who drops down all the things we want. That God is good means that he not only saves believers, but that God is good also has to mean that if you are an unbeliever, guilty of the evil of rejecting him and his rule over your life, then his goodness has to mean he is against you and will judge you. So let's go to the second half of the psalm. And it's this, see the God who is good in verses 15 to 22. See the God who is good. Just notice in verse 15 and 16 how the God who is good treats the righteous and the evil differently. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. This is an outworking of the goodness of God. His perfect goodness. So God faces the righteous. Notice that in verse 15. Those who are made right with him today through Jesus' death and resurrection. He's towards them. He faces them with loving care. His eyes are on them. His ear is attentive to their cry. So all their lives, he hears all. No tears go unnoticed. But then look at the contrast in verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, the evil of unbelief that rejects him and his rule over their lives. Here, it's not actually that God has turned away from unbelievers to leave them to their own devices, but terrifyingly, God faces up to them to blot out their names from the earth. You know, the humbling truth is that most of us will hardly be remembered within 50 years of our death, probably shorter. But believers will inherit the new creation. They will forever have a name in God's eternal new heavens and earth. But to remain in unbelief, reject God's goodness in sending the Lord Jesus Christ, is to be checkmated in life, God Almighty is against you and to be forgotten in death. No place in God's eternal new creation. So don't make the mistake of remaining an unbeliever. God in his goodness will confirm your choice to reject him. And his justice, he will reject you forever in hell. Instead, let's see here the God who is good to those who turn to him now, who repent of their sins now, who are forgiven, who are made right with God through faith in Jesus. Look at verse 17 to 20. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. And again, we, we've got to look beyond 
this life where we do have troubles to God's eternal new creation of no troubles. Until then, verse 18 assures us of the Lord's tender goodness. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe you feel far from God today. Your heart broken. Your spirit beaten out from life's sadness and struggle and sin and suffering. But how close is the Lord to believers? Well, he's not only God with us in Jesus' first coming, he is no less than God in us with the sending of the Holy Spirit. God in us. That is, that is how close the Lord is to the brokenhearted, to save the crushed in spirit. So let's cry out to him. Look at verse 19. For the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects his bones. Not one of them will be broken. So no matter how many, no matter how varied our troubles in this life, God diversifies in his deliverance, big and small, and he rescues from them all, ultimately in the new creation. Now on the, um, the promise of no broken bones, um, when I was at school, I broke my nose playing football. Um, I'm not sure whether a nose counts as a bone. Someone can correct me on that afterwards, but I can tell you it felt that painful uh, when it happened. But Look, in that moment, as my nose said hello to my mate's shoulder, as we both went to head the ball, in that moment, was God failing on his promise in verse 20? No, he wasn't. Again, I think we, we, we have to say it's a promise of more than a mini deliverance. It's a promise of new bodies forever possible through Jesus. And really interesting, John in his gospel picks up um, on this, highlights that this verse here was fulfilled in Jesus. When the soldiers came to break the legs of the criminals either side of Jesus to hasten death, they came to Jesus and he was already dead, so they didn't break his bones. The Old Testament required that the lamb sacrificed for sin had to be perfect. And so Jesus, the lamb of God, Sacrifice for our sin had to be the perfect Lamb of God. So believers might be forgiven. And through his resurrection, we too have resurrection bodies with unbreakable bones in the new creation. Delivered from our greatest problem, the greatest trouble of God's just judgment on our sin. And look at how the goodness of God works out in verse 21 and 22. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So the God who is good, he will rescue his servants from an evil world that is hostile to them, that rejected their savior, Jesus. Laughed at their faith, condemned their belief as shameful. One day, when we stand before Jesus, the judge of all the earth, those who opposed believers will be condemned by Jesus. 
But believers, his servants, can be assured of rescue, that no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us now. Well, I wonder if you can see the goodness of God this morning. Will you taste the goodness of God? Are you chief cake taster when it comes to God's goodness? The proof of the Lord's goodness here is in the tasting, in trusting him. It's captured in the song I shared earlier, that the song ends like this. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. Oh, on that cross, how it was seen. I can go now ever trusting in the one who died for me. What could I bring? For your gift is complete, so I trust you, simply trust you. Lord, with every part of me.